From Alachua, Florida, I'm Amrita Kaley. I'm Krishna Kishore. And I'm Namamrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Raithi, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America. And the home of thousands of Bhakti Yoga practitioners. In our ongoing series of live interviews, we explore a range of spiritual topics, introducing you to inspirational community members and guest speakers with diverse backgrounds and experience. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the spiritual lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Well, Haribo, folks. This is episode 21. And today I have Doug Watson on the show. Doug is a theoretical astrophysicist with a PhD in physics from Vanderbilt University. He got involved with the BIAHS, the Bhaktivedanta Institute for Higher Studies, in uh, 2019 and uh, moved to Nuraman Reiti a couple of years ago with his wife, Sharanagari, who we recently had on the show. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking with Doug today for a couple of reasons. One is I find his field of work fascinating. And um, he's, uh, how do I define um, my My exposure with devotees is mostly senior devotees who joined back in the day and peers like myself who grew up in the movement. But Doug joined, um, you know, in his own uh, timeline uh, maybe a decade ago or something like that and so I'm, I'm just very curious to hear about his discovery of Krishna consciousness. Doug, let me switch to my gallery view here so we can all see you. How are you doing? Welcome to Nectar Talks. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a beautiful, stunning day in Alachua. It sure is. Let's not make the rest of the country jealous here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to admit, I don't fully understand the scope of your research. I looked at your CV for quite some time, trying to understand what all those credentials meant. Um, You're involved in a lot of deep uh, subject matters when it comes to the world of scientific research. Um, What I I do know, especially having attended um, a couple of BI events um, is that this kind of research is really exciting. So I'm hoping that um, for starters, you could summarize for us what it is exactly that you do as far as your, your work and uh, your, your research uh, field, especially. Yeah, it's good timing because we just had a workshop last weekend at the BI and it was a big success. We had, uh, it, was, it was invitation only, and we had about 50 participants, um, the majority of which have PhDs in some field, of whether it's philosophy, history, um, or some field of science. And the general theme was just um, uh, sort of trying to wrap our head around Puranic cosmology in general, and if and how that relates at all to what we know about modern cosmology. So my background is in just that, in in physical cosmology. That's what I did my PhD in. So I just try and help out in any way I can when it comes to that side of things. Um, 
and it's such a neat collaboration because you have people coming at it from the humanities um, and philosophy and then scientists. It's very different than how it would be in regular academic settings where when I was in the physics department, I never went to a single other building on campus. You just kind of live in your own little bubble. And this is a very like collaborative, it was just fun. It was also fun to have people together in person again, somewhere on Zoom overseas, but just like the energy of everyone together, bouncing ideas off each other. Because ultimately the idea is not to just um, help educate the broader devotee community, but to sort of branch out and engage and attract scientists and scholars to bhakti and we're that's if i knew how to do that i'd tell you but that you know that's if i could bottle that up i have no idea how to do it that's kind of the magic question Mm -hmm. and so that's what you do um in the bi and what about uh professionally what are you involved with yeah so professionally um i i left academia about six years ago and I got into the field of intellectual property law, which sounds like a total 180, but basically it's uh, like being a science consultant to people that um, are writing patents, trying to protect their inventions, trying mm-hmm. to enforce them. Um, and I work kind of on the data side, data science side of that, um, which isn't the most glamorous job in the world. I think most people couldn't imagine just like sort of sitting there and writing algorithms all day, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it, it's actually kind of the reverse of what Einstein did. So Einstein used to work in a patent office and write patents and stuff. And then he became a physicist and we know how that turned out. I seem to be doing the wrong thing with the trajectory going <laughs> the other way. So <laughs> here we are. Right. Well, I think between that and your work, your work in the BI, there's um, a lot of exciting uh, subject matters that you're you're covering, no matter what. Yeah. Um, I find it fascinating and intriguing. Um, you know, the work that the BI does. It's also very theoretical, mm-hmm. um, and I'm wondering if some listeners might be asking themselves how this relates to them, the exploration mm-hmm. of. The workings of the cosmos um, can seem like a field that's great for those who are really into that. Um, but how does it relate to us? Can you connect the dots between the scientific research, uh, this greater creation, and how it could possibly affect us as individuals? Yeah, I mean, it, on the one hand, it sounds like such a nuanced, esoteric thing. Like, who cares? You know, I uh, I have bills to pay. You have a child to raise or things to do. Why, why do I care what the universe is doing out there? But on the other hand, it's, it's kind of playing devil's advocate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it really, it's, it's a unique science because it's the physical situation that is the context for human life. Right. Um, And and it causes people to think about what is our, our place in the universe? Why are we here? What's the purpose? And Basically, my, my own work in cosmology ultimately was not fulfilling because it wasn't answering those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I guess kind of taking up more of a, a spiritual 
PhD has been much more satisfying and in, in, in sort of understanding how to draw the whole picture together, the whole cosmic picture into um, how, to, how to live your own life, essentially. Hmm. That's interesting that um, you, you've mentioned that for you, it wasn't fully satisfactory as far as, uh, I guess, your questions of, you know, the bigger picture of life and where we fit in. Uh, my, my uncle, Brian Green, which, mm -hmm. you, you know, is a, a scientist, having observed him and, um, you know, just seeing how he approaches his work, I can tell it's really, he's coming from a, an existential platform. Mm -hmm. um, would you say it's like that for most scientists from your experience in the field? Or is there kind of a mix of those who are really com coming at it from a a gut wrenching, I got to figure out what this world's all about. And you know, where am I coming from? Right. Or is it something else for some scientists? Uh, that's such a good question. I mean, I'm sure if you if you polled all of them, there, there would be a whole broad spectrum. But um, a, a, you're going into a field where you know, you're not going to make a lot of money. Mm. And B, it's going to be very, very rigorous and hard. So you must have some real genuine love for it or or you would go work on Wall Street or something. I don't know. Uh -huh. But often the story is, especially in astronomy and cosmology, is that they've just always been kind of obsessed with what's going on out there, and they just want to know more. And so science is one tool to try and learn about that, um, learn about the universe. That's a tool that you can use and is one that you'll find through going th the regular academic channels. But the truth is you kind of start out with this awe and wonder about the universe, but then you sort of just narrow in on your own research projects and you're just plugging away at these things and you kind of lose sight of the bigger picture actually. Right. And right. it wasn't until I, I, I actually stepped out of it finally that I started thinking about the broader context even more um, because it's like most fields, you, you get into your little specific area and you hone in on it so much that uh, it's hard to step back and see why, why you got in it in the first place. Right. So where did all of this start for you? Were your parents in science? Did you stare at the stars a lot as a kid? Or? <laughs> I stared at a soccer ball when I was a kid. That's okay. <laughs> No, but but actually, yeah. My, and my, you and you mean that very seriously because I know you actually had a professional career as a soccer player <laughs> at, at yeah, some yeah. point too. Um, no, both my parents actually are scientists. My okay. uh, my well, and my brother too. Um, my dad has a background in, in math, and he was sort of a math and computer science professor mm. for a little bit, and then went in the private sector. And my mom, which it was quite amazing. She retired, but she was an immunologist at the National Institutes of Health, which was fascinating because she's, I don't know, she'd probably cringe at me saying this, but she's about to turn 75. So you can imagine back when she was in her early 20s, leaving college, um, getting into this field where she was the only woman and um, mm. basically working her way in and proving herself that way and having a long, and pretty illustrious career in that field it was is really amazing. Wow! Um, yeah, pioneering. Yeah, but they, my parents are extremely open-minded, um, and 
they're very curious about Krishna consciousness. Um, and well, so that's them. And then my brother, um, his same lean sort I'm of making a note of that though. Cause that, that'll be, I want <laughs> definitely want to hear more about that later on. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, my, my brother studied physics and philosophy undergrad. He is like, uh, with, uh, I can't help but like interject puns. He's like light years smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> and he, so, so that was his background. He did a master's in philosophy and that's mostly Western philosophy and that can get a little dreary and bleak. So he was kind of straddling that abyss a little too long and got out of that and went into um, uh, do a master's in physics and ultimately went to med school. And, and he's a, a doctor now. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a much family, more, family uh, business is what it sounds like. I mean, no, no wonder. I didn't, I didn't have those tendencies. I was much, much more into chasing a soccer ball and chasing girls and having fun and, um, my brother is much more into academics, just much smarter. And it took me a lot, a lot longer. In fact, I did not have the standard trajectory of uh, go to college, go to grad school, blah, blah, blah. I took quite a bit of time off and um, like I played soccer professionally and then I traveled around a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was no pressure whatsoever for my parents to go into science. It just whatever made me happy, whatever I wanted to pursue, they were behind me. It just so happened that that was the thing. Right. Okay, yeah. great. I mean, it sounds like you had a a pretty nice upbringing, and and the way you got into your career was uh, pretty relaxed, and you you kind of took your time discovering where you wanted to go. And um, now, are you are you happy in this field? Any you know, looking back and how, how you came to it, does it all still make sense for you? Yeah. I mean, in one way, I don't know if it could have gone any other way because here we are, but it's uh, sitting here at, at 44 years old looks much better than I ever thought it would be when I was, you know, in my twenties and thirties. Um, so, uh, I, I love the path it's taken and, and you still haven't seen it yet, but we, we have uh, our little mini uh, burgeoning farm sanctuary at our house with animals. I, every I, day. I, I know you, you, you moved here in 2020 from California yeah. uh, it, and, and I see you and Shara are just, you know, you're multiplying the amount of animals that you have on, on your little farm. Um, tell me a little bit about that. You know, your move to Alachua, what, uh, what prompted that? And, um, you know, what's your experience, uh, being here in this community so far? Yeah. Um, so, so I grew up on the East coast and, um, right outside of DC and, um, I went off to college in the Midwest vowing, never move, move to move back to the East coast. I just never thought it would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately when we were living in Los Angeles and, we look out back on that with no regret. It was a wonderful time. Um, great. We have so many great memories, but um, sort of, a, I guess a year after we were there is when, when COVID came around 
And we had started, we had started like just getting a little more engaged with our spiritual practice back then. And then with the onset of lockdown and everything, we were feeling very disconnected. Um, and we had, we had tossed around the idea of maybe moving back to Alatra mm. as her parents were moving back. Um, and that, and so, so the lockdown and the, that isolation really was the impetus for taking it seriously. And then we just kind of did a handshake on it and we're like, let's do it. Let's move back. Let's go for it. Um, and it was, it was the best decision we've ever made. No doubt. Mm-hmm. What, what was your setting, uh, in California? Were you in an apartment and a house over there? And uh, what did your life look like before you moved here? Um, it, it was kind of classic LA. We were paying $1,800 a month to live in a renovated garage. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Cost of living out there is something else, but we had, yeah. we were, we were well outside of um, the hustle and bustle kind of up in the Santa Monica mountains area. If you know that, um, mm-hmm. just stunningly beautiful. Yeah. And since I like to run a lot and run on trails, it was, um, landscape wise, it was perfect for me. I loved it out there. Just loved it. And the weather you couldn't beat. Um, mm-hmm. but it is, it's really isolating. I had friends out there and I would see them you know, maybe once every few months, because it's at least 45 minutes to anywhere. Um, so, so you are quite a bit isolated. Yeah, gotcha. So <clears throat> I want to dive into your, um, your discovery of, of Krishna consciousness. And uh, my, my guess is you must have first heard it through your, your wife, Shara, when you met her at the time, maybe not. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, well, maybe a little bit about how you met Shara, and then what was your initial um, contact with this, uh, this philosophy and this tradition? Um, yeah, I'll try and do it justice, especially with meeting Shara. Because um, she jokes around that if you ever wanted to make like a really successful sleeping app, just record me talking or telling a story. <laughs> you can just drift off to sleep. Um, so I'll try, <laughs> I'll try and get more animated but it's kind of my natural monotone tendency. Um, I'm, lo- I'm loving it, Doug. <laughs> just keep going. I'm not going to fall asleep. Um, we were just, so we, we had um, Tamra and Loka over last night, and we were just uh-huh. talking about um, how we met. And I don't know, maybe Shara had mentioned it on her podcast, but uh, we, we met online in that old-fashioned romantic way. <laughs> right. And she um it, you know it was the kind of site that you pay for so it kind of weeds out the creeps okay and um, before i met her i had i had always dabbled in vegetarianism never stuck with it but i had been for about six months up till i met her and that was becoming more of a priority hmm. and you know she just had her her list of values um and and i had mine and they kind of meshed and we met and I think it was a little more lopsided. I was very much more like, uh, like jaw to the floor when I met her. And <laughs> she was uh, either just like politely being more reserved or wasn't feeling it. I don't know. Uh, uh-huh. but, but the nice thing was, is we just started a conversation and it was, it was very 
it was a lot, it was a lot more like old school, traditional in a sense. I just kind of courted her for like months. Mm-hmm. Um, by courted, I mean, I stalked her for like, <laughs> and, uh, we just got to know each other really well, um, right. which is not, had not been my experience in the past. You know, everything rushes so quickly in these sorts sure. of things. And, uh, right. she was very cautious. Um, so I reluctantly was very cautious. Um, and, and we just took our time. We really, really took our time. Yeah. Right. And uh, so tell me, was it through her that you first heard uh, about, about Krishna or had yeah. you heard about the Hare Krishnas or Bhakti Yoga prior to meeting Shara? Nope. Nope. I was, um, I was fully entrenched in a different world and, um, you know, I, I just knew about Hare Krishnas from pop culture stuff with right. all the stereotypical things that go along with that. Mm-hmm. And um, so she had told me that she was raised Hare Krishna. And I, I didn't really know what that meant, but um, it, it was more through. So for, first, I, I owe everything to her because she introduced me to it. Secondly, I owe the next level to her father because um, Panchantattva is has this unbelievable ability to explain things to someone like me mm-hmm. um, because because it can, some of the stuff can be quite nuanced esoteric very different from what you've normally learned or how the world works but he's really stuck to the abcs of the philosophy and sort of guided me through it slowly mm. um, and i was very attracted to that he just has such such a gift for being able to explain um, all of these topics. What are some of those ABCs that you remember um, uh, from that time? Well, so well to start with, I didn't really understand when 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 he would say something like the soul or or that. I wouldn't know what that meant. I just sort of know like the traditional western philosophy idea of a soul where i I couldn't really pinpoint what he was what would be taught be being talked about at that point is it consciousness is it my i didn't really know what a soul was um and it seemed kind of archaic and outdated i didn't know what we were talking about um but it it was more well so so maybe i should step back so the the reason i was getting into the the vegetarianism and and veganism and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was curious was, about that actually. Yeah, was was primarily for for some health reasons, um, but also philosophically, it just um, it made perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. So it was little things like that where we would talk about it, and you would say, "Oh, well, here, look, look in this verse. It, it talks about stuff almost exactly what you're talking about that makes sense to you." Um, and, mm. and he would sort of walk me along that way. Mm. So he was really using, literally holding the Bhagavad Gita as he was, uh, explaining <laughs> things with things for you. Yeah. And the right. most important, most important thing before I forget, um, which I usually forget to mention is that he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if, you know, if you're really open-minded, if you're an open-minded scientist, 
then be open-minded before you approach this book that there may be a God. Just start from there. Just say, okay, there is a God. And now let's start reading it together. Right. And sort of. That's such a good exercise to do that. Yeah. I I, I don't know if that's normally how it's done, but it's, it's. um, I've, uh, I know I've, I've said that to some friends, you know, just for the sake of the exercise, you know, just put yourself in the shoes of someone who's open to an idea of God and then read it from that standpoint, which is great. Actually, um, I just recently watched the interview that Jay Shetty did with Will Smith Hmm. and and Will Smith was explaining that because he's an actor, he is very comfortable doing that. He can put himself and his whole being in the position of a different character. And that's how he's been studying the Bhagavad Gita, you know, with Jay Shetty kind of mentoring him through it. So that's oh, just, cool. a, yeah, great, uh, great point. And I'm glad you're uh, reminding us of that, that approach. I think it's a, a healthy one, especially for someone like you that has such a, you know, analytical background and you probably look at things with a, you know, a, a kind of a keen eye and a, maybe uh, r- ready to point out, no, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah. My, my lack of humility was very apparent because every little thing I would just nitpick and be like, yeah. well, that, that can't be right. Right. But, no, I think that's good. That's, that's a great way to study the, the Gita. <laughs> yeah. Cause some of it, you know, there's talk of some certain rituals and mm-hmm. I, I would admit, yeah, I won't even bring them up. It's so embarrassing in hindsight, but either way it, it's, it's just that it's hard and I, and I couldn't fully get there. And that's why it took me so long to get to where I am now is mm-hmm. because the, the idea of God or a God or gods um, was so far away from my thinking, my training, um, my upbringing, my surroundings, my environment. Mm-hmm. I just was thinking it's the 21st century. Like people are still talking about this stuff. Like, isn't that <laughs> out the window? Um, did you have any um spiritual conceptions that you did hold on to you know yourself um separate maybe even from the an idea of god as a person or anything like that Uh, where were you situated spiritually growing up would you say um i don't know It, it, it wasn't like a topic of conversation or where there wasn't like introspection in the self in that way. Mm. It was more just like the typical existential, what are we doing here? What's the point? Okay. Um, I better go to a bar and have a beer and not think about it. And just <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, and that, and that is no, I have, I have to say that's no knock on my parents because I live an absolutely privileged life of, you know, unconditional love. My, my parents are just, they support me in everything. Right. And they just wanted me to have no um, external biases coming in to find my own path. However, however I would do that. Yeah. Um, Cause they had, you know, they had a kind of a typical, um, experience growing up 
in the Catholic church and other things that really, really turned them off. Yeah. yeah. Anything religious. Right. Um, As you learned about um, the philosophy um, and I'm sure it took a lot of time, what were some of the, the points that really kind of grabbed your attention? Well, what really, what really clicked for me that I think was what was sort of the game changer was um, we'll see how much I want to divulge here. It's not always easy to talk about, but in my early thirties, um, I had some very intense uh, life circumstances and mental health problems mm-hmm. while I was in graduate school. Stuff that uh, you know really, really brings you to your knees. So going to a life of where I had so much success and everything with, with soccer and academics and this and that, to being in a position where you're just com- completely humble and desperate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that puts you in, uh, that gives you a shift of consciousness. So to me, that that started bringing about the idea of, well, how can I <clears throat> sit around and judge other people? Because I have no idea what they're going through. Right. And then it was that, um, uh, fifth chapter of the of Bhagavad Gita that I think her dad may have shown me first, or either I arrived at it through reading um, about Samadarshana. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it's a very famous verse about seeing things with equal vision. Right. And it wasn't, yeah, it it yep. It, it doesn't, it didn't strike me as some sort of kumbaya over sentimental empathy for everything kind of thing, but an actual rational um, seeing the non-difference and everything. And that, that cultivates a level of compassion that I didn't have and I didn't know I was capable of. Mm. And it it wanes a lot, but I I come back to that a lot. So that particular verse um, I think is what really started propelling me farther down or farther up. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, definitely a very powerful verse and it it encompasses so much of what most traditions uh, seem to focus on, you know, love your neighbor and (laughs) the golden rule. Yeah. Um, But uh, But it was, it was very specific. It's like, it's not just love your other human beings. Everyone literally an Atman and every. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think it, I don't know if we had talked about this, but um, but your guru, I, I believe, did we mention this? I had heard, so this is just what I had heard. Was it that that's the verse that he quotes the most? Yeah, I mean, he by far uh, that is the verse he is always quoting, Radnath Swami. So definitely yeah. something something special about that for him as well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier um, this idea of how Krishna consciousness or just the Hare Krishnas was nothing more than, you know, what you've heard through pop culture. A um, cu- couple of different directions I want to go with that. Um, one is I'm, as of 
a few months ago. I'm on this uh, this committee called the uh, ISKCON's Relevance in North America. Mm. And uh, so we're, we're very much trying to strategically put some efforts to uh, make this society and this, this philosophy in North America become more prevalent other than just, you know, people with robes and all that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about your experience with that. You know, did, did you mm -hmm. make a connection? Oh, this, you know, Shara's dad, he's talking to me about this philosophy. That's those Hare Krishnas. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit about your experience discovering more of the actual society, uh, for Krishna consciousness as you, uh, you know, met devotees and maybe yeah. visited temples and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, as I started visiting temples and meeting Shara's friends, um, essentially no one was wearing robes. <laughs> they all look like, <laughs> they all look like us. Right. Um, they all had normal lives. Um, and, um, but there, uh, the sense of community was quite special and the way that it wasn't just, you know, like a, a Sunday thing to make you feel better and then get on with your life. It was something that was truly lived, um, and with a higher purpose. Mm -hmm. So it was slow because, you know, we were isolated. We were in Chicago and then LA and it's become, there's a reason that, that our practice has gotten so much stronger since we've been here is because we're just around so many devotees. And the more I know, like they've got jobs, they're just, you know, they're just people um, working hard at something. And I find that really admirable. Um, and everyone comes from different walks of life. I, it's not just artists and people drawn in that way, but, you know, through the BI, it, it's so important to have like-minded people if you want to stay right. engaged. Right. So when I got to the BI and there were these pencil pushing nerds uh, talking about physics and other things, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you guys are devotees? It's amazing. Um, so that just keeps you more and more engaged. And then you learn more and more. And for me, it's like, um, on the one hand, it's exciting. It's like being a first year grad student, the whole, the whole thing is just open and there's so much to learn. And on the other hand, I feel so far behind and I know so little, and it can be a little daunting in that way. Um, just because you move into a committee where, where people are a community where people have been living this and they know everything so well. And, um, uh, I, I just have feel like I have so far to go. Well, it's going to be a, it's a fun journey, no matter what. <laughs> I got a long way to go myself and I'm, I'm born in this. So don't worry. <laughs> um, tell me about your, your, your introduction to the BI. How did all, that all come about? Um, you know, who were, who did you meet uh, as part of that institution, you know, which, um, I picked this off of uh, Krishna.com's website, but the BI's objective is to establish the scientific merits of Krishna consciousness and to encourage academic study of the soul. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. um, summary of what the BI does. So how did you come in contact with them and how did that develop to where you're now hosting the latest events? Yeah. Um, so it, 
it started back a few years ago when I don't know why. First of all, I apologize. Can you hear my dog snoring in the background? He like really lets I, it rip and it's loud. I can't. Okay. I don't know if it'll come out on the recording or not, but we'll know what it is. It'll be adorable if it does. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, so for some reason or another, um, in in YouTube's infinite wisdom, it it suggested a video um, of Howard Resnick giving this speak speech, Redynamarange. Uh-huh. Just a, Howard Resnick. This guy's wearing a polo shirt and he's at a lectern at a public university talking philosophy. That sounds very similar to Krishna consciousness, but without the word Krishna or anything like that. Um, And I was like, wow, this guy is so sharp. What, you know, like this is amazing philosophy. And then um, later learned that that was him. And so I reached out to him and just, you know, wanted to say how much I enjoyed his, his lecture and, um, when when was this? When you were in California? Yeah, I think that would have been 2019. Some, okay. some so he put me in touch. He he was sort of like, okay, um, you're you're Shara Nagati's husband. Okay, let let's get you in touch with people at the BI. Okay. And I don't know the exact sequence of events, but it happened really really quickly hmm. to the point where I started participating within a short amount of time. Were they, um, you know, looking at your credentials and, you know, was that appealing to the devotees at the BI, your, your experience? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's important if you're, if you're trying to um, relay complex topics in science or consciousness to the general public or to the scholarly community, that the people that are doing it have credentials that they recognize. So they, they very much like that. Um, so that helped a lot, but I, I just felt like I, I wasn't sure what I had to offer because I didn't know enough about the philosophy. Um, I didn't know how to tie things together, mm-hmm. but they were just so great. They're like, don't worry about it. Just, you know, help us with your expertise and w- we can help you formulate it in, in, into a way that, that is more in line with Krishna consciousness. Um, so it was, it was just a really cool symbiotic relationship. Everyone was just really welcoming. Um, yeah, it's an amazing team. I mean, all the devotees at the BI here in Gainesville are just so sweet. You know, yeah. just a great, great group of, uh, of people to work with. And so dedicated. They they all have jobs or other things, but they like Brahmatirta. I mean, that guy, I don't think he sleeps more than 30 minutes a night. He's always... <laughs> on it right. he works so tirelessly yeah. just you know trying to fulfill Prabhupada's mission with the bi yeah um what's your exact position at the bi do you have a title on that team i don't know i haven't looked at the website in a long time i'm not sure um but you uh, you i know you you hosted this event um and you've I missed it. I'm hoping there's some recordings somewhere that I can see, but you, you yeah. must obviously have some good communication skills to, uh, to have done that. What, what were some of your roles during that event? Um, yeah. So it's fun. Usually when I, when I talk about science or this kind of thing that I'm excited about Dashara, her eyes kind of glaze over and she looks <laughs> off in the distance 
Um, but with this crowd, they're, they're, <laughs> they're in it, they're sucked in, they love it. Um, so I, I was the workshop chair, which just meant um, uh, like I, I helped figure out who we wanted to invite, what, what the schedule events would be, who the speakers would be. Um, I gave my own sort of uh, introductory talk to the whole workshop and then led the discussions throughout the rest of the, the weekend. But mm-hmm. so many, so many people were involved in so many aspects from behind the scenes. Um, I mean, it took a, took a good sized team to put one of these together. They, ultimately it's, it's because we want to have a larger conference in a year that is not just, you know, insular to the devotee community, but um, to the larger scholarly community. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, what, what are the results that we can go look at from this conference? Um, but it was kind of a stepping stone towards this next one. It's classified. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of classified, um, there's a segue some... to that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are some, um, because you're in the, you're in the know. What are some of the latest advances uh, in the field of science, whether it's through the BI or just your knowledge of of you know science in general? Um, you know, are there things happening right now that are just you know this is the first time in history that we've made these scientific advances yeah. or discoveries? What's what's going on out there? Well, I think I'll I'll see if I can. Um articulate this well. So there are kind of two things. On the one side, the reason I I got so into this and and decided to to propose this workshop was that normally um, the the sort of popular idea in cosmology is that there's this something happens, some event, a big bang, we'll call it a big bang happens, the universe is born and it evolves from there. there are some problems with that, both scientifically and philosophically, and scientists themselves are taking this very seriously. And a lot of alternatives are coming up um, that have to do with cyclic models of cosmology. And as you know, Puranic cosmology is a cyclical one. Um, the universe creates, maintains, annihilates, starts all over again. And these sort of corollaries are happening in modern cosmology where these are viable models for how the universe works. So just right there, we're kind of in the conversation. Mm. Second um, is the most fascinating part about physics without um, getting too into the weeds is is the idea of, of quantum physics where um, if, if you observe a system, you're immediately kind of affecting it just by observing it through your own consciousness. And this, this came about in the 1930s, and it's, it's the bedrock of all physics. It's the most well-tested theory out there, um, and it's passed every test. It's kind of a real monumental achievement for science, just quantum theory in general. Yeah. But there's still the pesky problem that comes up, which is, does consciousness play a role in how reality unfolds? Because uh, w- without worrying about the math or anything, 
basically a, a system can be changed by whether or not it's observed. So the BI, of course, has a materialistic and non-materialistic view of reality where consciousness absolutely plays a role. And for the last 50 years, science has tried to, to work out ways to get rid of consciousness as playing any particular part at all in how the physical world operates. So where a lot of our thinking is, is how do we, so there's a group at the BI that does more of the neuroscience stuff, which is how the mind and brain interface and consciousness's role in that. Mm-hmm. And then also on the, on the side that I'm more interested in, the, the pure physics side, um, in, in, in our philosophy, the role of the observer is very important. The intention of the observer, the free will, um, and even beyond that, the external observation of, of Vishnu or however you want to say it, um, there's always witnessing going on and intention that can change how reality unfolds. So trying to come up with ways to incorporate something non-material consciousness into how physical reality plays out is um, sort of a big thrust at the BI. And it's really exciting because that's what's going on in, in mainstream science as well. Yeah. Uh, so it, it seems like it's a really special time right now for the devotee scholars to, to sort of slip in there right. and start attracting people um, by speaking their language in a coherent way. Fantastic. What are some examples of um, how an observer can change a system and how it behaves. Oh boy. Um, so we have like one example. Have like three hours, right? Is that <laughs> what, let's do one example, three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to solve all of quantum mechanics for the last hundred years. <laughs> the basic idea is that um, at, at the very, very tiniest scales, um, everything exists kind of in a probabilistic state and nothing really manifests until it's observed. And this is actually a consequence of the math itself. It's not something hokey, um, but there are ways that clever ways where you can get around that, where it says that the observation doesn't actually matter. Um, so for instance, uh, people will say, well, consciousness can't matter and how, uh, can't can't have any importance in how reality unfolds because if you believe in evolutionary science then millions of years ago there weren't any conscious observers so how would reality unfold if there weren't any conscious entities to observe it we of course don't really have an issue with that because there's always a conscious entity or entities observing at all times right um so it, it is at the most fundamental level of physics that it's sort of a state of unrealized potential that doesn't actually actuate until it's measured or observed, however you want to define that. So that's just the, the most at the most fundamental level of physics. Wow. And, and it's been just swept under the rug for so many years because because people, what's the point of knowing that philosophy? Let's just use the theory to make cell phones and computers and all these other things with that right. 
math. Yeah. yeah. Um, Interesting. So you're, I like how you're saying that, you know, this is a perfect timing for the BI. Um, you're a fairly young scientist. Where do you see your career moving forward and what are you trying to accomplish um, when it comes to all this? Um, so my, like everyone has their own goal. There's the overarching goal um, of just trying to attract more people to Krishna. And that's obviously a big task, but there are many avenues to do that. The BI is just one particular little small area. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm almost curious just in the, in the question itself by self-examination. I, I still can't pinpoint how I was drawn in. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, it's going to be some co combination of my background and science and what's said in the Bhagavatam and other things, but just, I'm trying to understand how my own experience and how I've been drawn to it could help me sort of take that show on the road and, and, and attract other people, um, to what we're doing here. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like. I wish I knew. Yeah. Yeah. But, but long-term, uh, there are a couple books I'd like to write that I've been working on. Those will be very long-term and they're meant more towards, um, uh, to the devotee community in terms of, um, providing knowledge about, um, science as we know it and how it relates to consciousness. So a way mm -hmm. that's easily digestible for pretty much everybody, um, but I don't know. I mean, five years ago, I never thought I'd be sitting here on a podcast uh, talking about any of this. So, right, right. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe someone will correct me after the podcast is published. But I believe Shil Prabhupada started the BI in 1966. I mean, just a year after he founded the society. Um, and there may or may not be an official answer to this question, but why do you think Srila Prabhupada puts so much emphasis on the BI? Oh my God. Uh, I have a no. Wow. Well, I, well, I, 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 can, <laughs> I can help with my own ideas. Do you think it's just to prove God through science or is it more to stimulate a higher level of discussion in the world? You know, just being working with the BI, where where do you think that uh, springboard is is coming from? Gosh, it's such a good question, and and I don't know. You 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 hear different answers from different people, mm -hmm. so I I can't say with any authority. Um, yeah, I'm kind of asking just coming from you and knowing that this was started by Shila Prabhupada. Yeah. I'm not asking for the exact answer but you know with that idea that this was you know obviously a big priority for Srila Prabhupada what do you think is the mood behind it well I, I have been told this is just through what people have told me is that he recognized that in the west that scientists you know like the the intellectual class like they're really some of the smartest minds 
were working in science, but they were also some of the most physicalist or materialist leaning people. So a, a way to um, engage and attract that sort of class of people mm -hmm. to Bhakti is uh, at least part of what I think the mission was because those people have a lot of sway over how the rest of the population thinks. Right. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, now that you've, you know, you're, you're pretty familiar with um, the philosophy of um, the Bhagavad Gita, you're familiar with the scientific world, you have your own spiritual journey. Um, how do you look at it when it comes to this question of science and God and religion? Do you, um, do you feel one can prove the other? Are they meant to just go in hand in hand? How do you see that relationship? Um, I don't know. Part of me is just one, follow my curiosity and two, um, practice something that people before me have shown um, is successful and leads and, and is sort of the purpose of life for, for self-realization and to know Krishna. So uh, I'm, I'm not like, humility doesn't come easy to me, especially as a former pro athlete and stuff. I just, it's not easy for me to sort of just give in and be submissive to these things, but more and more, it's just try and just practice what's being taught to you and not be stubborn about it and take to it. Mm -hmm. Truly inquisitive, um, then do it, then do the practice, see what, see what happens, see how you experience it, see how your life changes. Yeah. Um, how does that look like for you? Yeah, have you developed some kind of sadhana or some regular what are some, what are your practices yeah i mean i do my best to do um 16 rounds every morning um and other than coffee I, you know, <laughs> which you still owe me <laughs> I do. We're supposed to get together <laughs> i know i know um so i i do i do my best to do that with without the expectation that I'm supposed to be feeling something or receiving something or this and that, but just mm -hmm. that, um, that's what, that's what it is, is advised to do. And that's, that's the science of it. So that's what I'm trying to do as, as best as I can. Um, mm -hmm. and Char and I don't have any kids. I have a busy job, but I definitely have, I can make the time to do it. So right now that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. It ain't easy, but it's nice. It is a, yeah, it is a discipline for sure. Yeah. But I, I really appreciate that you're, you know, you're, you're doing it by the book. If you're spending <laughs> 16 rounds well, every morning, that's, that's, that's great. That hasn't, that hasn't been going on for years. This is sure. Like, of course. You know, gradual. What a, what a beautiful standard that we have to always strive for though. You know? Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so let's circle back around. Tell me a little bit about how your parents have processed your discovery of Krishna consciousness and, you know, moving to this community, getting pretty involved um, with uh, the BI and, uh, you know, how much have they 
scene of uh, temples and how do they feel about it? Um, my parents are, are so incredible. I mean, um, my dad was the youngest of eight and a very blue collar Ohio family. And he was the only one to go to college. And, um, but, but all that being said, he's, he's just very open to whatever I'm willing to pursue. And in the same way, so is my mom. And not just in the way that, oh, you know, uh, go have fun, see where it leads you. They're genuinely curious about where, in fact, it's leading me and, and, and um, what, what they could learn from it. So they've, they've put up with all of my strange pursuits. Like, you know, right. we've talked about with my like crazy long running stuff and uh, like all the other wacky things I've done. They're, they never stand in the way. Um, and with this, I mean, all they see peripherally is just that I'm happier, um, have more sense of calm. Um, I, you know, I have a, a partner that com- that fulfills me um, and we're happy here and they come down here and they, they see that like there, there's something going on here. Like they, they, they did go to the temple and they got, they got to meet people and um, it's just natural to be very gravitated towards um, a community where people seem to all be chipping in in different ways and they just couldn't help but notice that most people are smiling a lot <laughs> yeah, and just seem generally happy. Right. So my dad is, is very much the analytical type. He, he tries to dissect all the books <laughs> and uh-huh. try and understand them as best he can. And my mom just thinks it's all really cool. That's just her. And, the, and they're moving down here for the winters. Really? Starting next year. So, nice. you know, we'll, we'll get him in. We'll get him to <laughs> sip on that Kool-Aid a little bit. <laughs> Just keep, keep feeding them that Charnamrita. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Watson, this was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. I really, thank, really appreciate it. Thank you for, in, for uh, interviewing Shara. She loved it. And people keep coming up to her and saying, thank you for sharing your story because yeah. she was so open about her recovery and everything she went through. And uh, yeah, that woman saved my life. So I appreciate <laughs> the story out there. And um, together you have uh, some wonderful things to do in this world. So we appreciate <laughs> both of you. And I have been getting also great feedback from her interview and I'm looking forward to hearing all the good feedback from this one as well. Yeah, maybe it'll be a good sleep app. We'll see. (laughs) All right, Doug. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And uh, we'll see everybody on our next episode. All right, right, Krishna. Bye, 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 Bye.